I want to talk about Psalms. Uh, I've been kind of in the Psalms a, a fair bit. Uh, I was watching a, um, a video on the Psalms by, uh, I can't remember, John Jol- Golden Day, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's a theologian. He's the guy, when I talk about the, the Bible for Everybody written by N.T. Wright, a guy named John Golding Jay, uh, he translated the Old Testament in the same series. Uh, so he is a, um, I guess that makes him a British scholar probably. And he talks about the Psalms and he talked about being a young man and um, being in a meeting and basically making some disparatory comment about the Psalms, about how it's not necessary. And having a boss, this is when he was much younger, having one of his kind of rector or priest or I don't know whoever it was on the food team higher than him saying um, basically saying son one day you will need the psalms and he didn't understand that at the time and then he hit some challenges in his life and he as when reading through the psalms he's like wow there are people who've been here before who have been through these kinds of challenges and he realized as he was reading and then praying through the psalms that the, the day had come when he did in fact need the psalms and I am um uh finding myself more in the Psalms in this time during pandemic uh, when things are not as I feel like they should be. Uh, One of the unique things about the, like I think Psalms, because it sits next to Proverbs, but the Proverbs is this book where it's like uh, the wisdom of Solomon. So it's a king. And when you're the king, everything basically happens the way you want it to. So he he can write, oh, if you're well behaved, then good things will bless you. And if you do this, then things will bless you. If you do this, then things will bless you. He can talk about all that uh, because that is generally the experience of the king. Uh, Whereas the Psalms are more like, why is it going wrong? Why are the wicked prospering? This is stupid. I'm very cranky about it. There's all these uh, imprecatory or angry Psalms or lament Psalms and grief and sorrow uh, to go with the joy and all of those other other things as well. Uh, But the Psalms is a more honest book. um, And it is a prayer book. And it was a prayer book that was put together in a very intentional way. So I think um, when we read it, just note that the order of those Psalms, there are five books and there's like a little introduction and there's a little outro. um, So uh, for the entire narrative of the Psalms. So even though they were written over a really long period of time, they were collated by Hebrew scholars um, and put together in a specific order for a specific reason. And so when we look at today, we're going to look at Psalm 137 and 138, those two psalms are next to each other for a reason. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll start from the beginning here. So I've just said I've already basically done my introduction. So the psalms uh, is the full gamut of human emotion and experience. Uh, we have lament, we have anger, we have praise, wisdom, petition, pleas, uh, rebuke, cries for help, calls of judgment, and songs of thanks. Uh, and so it you know that there's a full range of stuff that happens here. Uh, but more often than not, what we find in the Psalms is an honest voice, not of the, uh, the powerful, but a, a voice of the poor or a voice of the uh, grieving or the, a voice of those who have been um, uh, through a period of sorrow or anguish. So they are a voice when we are brokenhearted, we can go to the scriptures and we can say, hey, people have been here before. This is not a new experience. And God is comfortable with us talking to him honestly. The Psalms are not uh, pious 
and they're not polite. They are honest and they are gritty. And when you read it, if you like, especially if you've heard the Psalms in more kind of old, uh, old English styled language, you could think that it was really um, high level kind of literature, but it's not. The Psalms is really honest. It's just um, yeah, it is that gritty kind of thing. And I think that we could do with some more of that in the church. When we look at the the, um, the classic worship songs, if you go and look at the top of the charts of the Christian worship songs, they are very happy. Uh, they are very joyful. They are very optimistic. They're, a lot of them kind of sound like creepy love songs. Um, and, you know, that's nice. But that is not a reflection of what the Psalms was like. When you look at the, the prayer book or the worship book of the Jewish people, there was a lot more anguish. There was a lot more sorrow. Uh, so I think that we could do with some genuine, authentic honesty in Christian worship a little bit more. Uh, I think that we could do with that more just in our dialogue. Uh, so especially at the moment with everything going on, I just, I, I say this every week at the moment, but if you're struggling, say something. If you're not coping, say something uh, to your uh, spouse or to a housemate. Uh, give me a call. Meet with your doctor. Do something. Don't just sit there and allow yourself to be struggling right now. Uh, but the other thing you can do is you can have that conversation with God. He is perfectly comfortable with you being um, disillusioned or having questions or being concerned or not being sure about what's going on. Uh, I think that the Psalms, they give us a language to do that if we can't find that language for ourselves uh, because we shouldn't hide our true self from God because when we hide our true selves from God, that is shame. Uh, and that's never been a helpful or a beautiful thing to experience shame. Now, the psalm that I'll start with is uh, what we call an imprecatory psalm, but it's also a lament psalm. So this is an, a lament is an expression of grief or sorrow. A, a lament is having a good old complaint is, is what it is. Uh, but a lament, when we do it to God, we complain to God because we expect and anticipate and hope that he has the power to bring about some kind of change. Um, I was... Uh, reading a thing from uh, Walter Brueggemann again, and he talks about blind Bartimaeus. Uh, and when blind Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus in Mark 10, he says, uh, the, the crowd, are, like their disciples have, have rebuked him and they've told him to be quiet. And he shouts all the more. And this is the lament from blind Bartimaeus to Jesus. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, this is a prayer of lament. Have mercy on me. Do something. Help me. Change my circumstances. Why am I blind? Why am I in the gutter? This lament that comes out of his mouth. This is a very uh, Jewish kind of cry to God as well. About a third of the Psalms are laments. A third of the Psalms are laments. And that's because like a lot of them were written by people who were in terrible circumstances. Uh, so a, a lament or sorrow or grief, this is not an obscure or unusual idea in the scriptures. This is a prayer book for real life, not a prayer book for some kind of happy, clappy, fantastic Facebook life. Uh, this is a real life prayer book. So Psalm 137, which is where we're going to start, this is not a psalm of praise. It, is a, uh, it isn't even really a historical song or a, uh, it's definitely not a wisdom tune. It is a lament. And then that lament turns seriously sour and becomes imprecatory. Uh, it becomes angry and vengeful. 
this is the heart-wrenching cry of a minstrel, uh, first who is suffering from PTSD, which I'll talk about in a second, but then it becomes this merciless curse on their enemies. It's quite an astounding psalm. But this is a psalm that has a context. Uh, so with, without the context, it just looks like this really angry interlude in the scriptures. But when when we wind back the clock, much more than daylight savings has uh, made us wind forward the clock, when we go all the way back to the 6th century BC, we have a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who has a fantastic name. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon and he ruled over a huge area. Uh, so kind of where Baghdad is now, Iraq, that's kind of where Babylon was. Uh, and all of that kind of region in between Baghdad all the way across to the Mediterranean, not quite as far as Egypt, but so Jerusalem and the Holy City and all this were encompassed in Babylon. He was the ruler of the whole of that um, Middle Eastern region. He was a, a power uh, mega house. Uh, he was the, the, the big boss um, and all of the surrounding kingdoms were subjugated to him in what we call a Caesarean vassal relationship. So he was king and everyone else had to pay him um, taxes basically so that he would uh, look after them. Uh, but really he was looking after them from his own troops who would destroy them if they didn't do that. Uh, now, after a, a season, all of these kingdoms, they hated the Babylonians and they hated Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so King Zedekiah of the, uh, the line of, um, of Judah, I suspect. And so they're there in Israel and they decide, nah, stuff it, we're not going to pay our taxes. We are going to rise up against uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so they rebelled, they refused to pay tribute, and it ended in a spectacular disaster for Israel. It was the worst possible outcome. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar turned up with his armies. And so in 2 Kings 25, it tells the story of what happened there. Uh, but basically, Nebuchadnezzar came in with his armies and they destroyed all of the houses in Jerusalem. They burned down the city and they burned down the temple. They burned the temple itself to the ground. This is a, a huge, huge grief. This is the, like, the most important structure in all of of Judaism and they burned it to the ground. And the last thing that happened for King Zedekiah, uh, maybe kids cover your ears, uh, uh, was that they they killed his children uh, in front of him and then they plucked out his eyes. Uh, it was very awful. Uh, now I feel bad for saying that. I can see that there are children present. Uh, my bad. Uh, so they chained him up uh, after doing these awful things to King Zedekiah and his family and his people. And they chained up all the people that were left that hadn't um, been, um, been destroyed. And they made them march back to Babylon, which is about 1,500 kilometers. So to give you some perspective, that's like walking from Canberra all the way to, to, to Sydney Harbour five times over. Uh, not there and back, just five times one way. You have to teleport back. Uh, but that's a really long way to walk chained up knowing that all of your family and friends have just been decimated and that sadly the, um, uh, the, your, your temple has been burned to the ground. So there is a story, a context here behind what's going on in this psalm. This is a, a people who are, are writing in the wake of having been forced into exile, being forced into a different culture, being forced into a different language as well, to live in a country with people who despise you as the most unwelcome of refugees. And these are people that live through atrocities that we can't really imagine. Not only was there starvation and disease, but there was all the kind of war crimes that were common to the ancient world. Uh, awful, awful atrocities. In the book of Lamentations, it describes uh, starvation to the point where people were 
doing stuff. I won't say it. Um, it's real bad. It's real bad what happened. And um, so these Israelites, they're traumatized, they're defeated, they're despairing, they're filled with sorrow and rage beyond measure. This is the context of Psalm 137. There is a refugee who has escaped genocide and the destruction of his entire culture, and he's been thrown into exile. He's being mocked by his adversaries, and they are saying to him, play me a happy song. And uh, so the, the, the psalm begins by the waters of Babylon, uh, by the rivers of Babylon. So the, the psalmist, this, this minstrel, is no longer sitting by the river Jordan um, in their own homeland. They are sitting by the rivers of Babylon in the homeland of their enemies. And uh, I'll, I'll read you the first uh, six verses. This is the lament portion. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And there on the poplars... We hung our harps. This uh, there on the poplars. This has uh, uh, been mistranslated at times as there by the we the willows, which is where we get our term weeping willows from. Um, there on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy, and they said, "Sing us one of the songs of Zion." How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So the minstrel here is being taunted to sing and he's saying, I can't sing. I've hung up my harp. I have no song. I have no temple. I have no homeland. I have no song in my heart anymore. You see, we are not good at lament. Our suburban Christian faith uh, is rarely resilient enough to survive significant suffering or sickness or disappointment or struggle or setback or even pandemic. Uh, I know a lot of ex-Christians now who have been through challenges and put on a brave face and secretly um, experienced in that brave face, in that place where they have questions and doubt and fear and confusion, they've secretly battled through that uh, and experienced the erosion of their hope and their joy and ultimately their faith. You see, the inability of Christians to lament and to question and to grieve has made many atheists because it is easier to watch Netflix than to process our grief and our anger. Uh, Brian Zahn, who, when I'm looking for um, theology, I generally go to a guy named Greg Boyd. Or if I'm looking for a more pastoral kind of angle, I go to a guy named Bruxy Cavey. And if I'm looking for a more prophetic edge, uh, I go to a guy named Brian Zahn. And so a lot of my notes today uh, from and when I teach on the Psalms come from Brian Zahn. And he says, to deny our sorrow doesn't make us happy, it makes us numb. To deny our sorrow doesn't make us happy. It makes us numb. You see, we need lament, uh, like it is exampled here in, in the Psalms for us. We need lament because by expressing our sorrow, it allows us to begin to heal. Even Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, it's in that process of mourning that, that we begin to be comforted, that we begin to move forward and, and to be healed. 
You see, there are nine verses in this psalm, and the first six of them are lament and grief, and then the last three, they turn to rage. When this, this minstrel has sat by the waters and said, I'm fed up, and I don't have a song, and I'm, and I'm grieving, and I'm hurt, and now I am angry. And, and, and so the psalm then turns, and it says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what uh, you have done to us. I'll encourage you to go and look up Psalm 137 and read verse 9 when your children aren't there. Uh, But it, it doesn't end well. This is a kind of rage that is best expressed to God. Uh, this is sometimes we need to be able to say things in God's presence that we know he isn't going to bless. See, sometimes people say, oh, why do we have an imprecatory psalm? How could you possibly say this awful thing or this, uh, you know, in the scripture? How can that be there? Well, it's because God is the one who should hear that. Because by sharing this psalm with God, by emptying our heart out before God, we empty the poison out so that we don't act with violence and rage upon another person. It begins a process of healing. That's what lament is for. God doesn't uh, need to act out our um, rage fantasy that we have in the psalm. But what he does do is he hears that and he is with us in the depth of our grief and our anger. This is a great place to be honest. You don't have to be on your best behavior before God. It isn't like putting on your nice clothes for church. God is not nearly as interested in propriety as he is in honesty. And the point of this psalm is not to get God to be vengeful towards someone, but it is to allow you to pour out that malice and that rage and that poison so that you can begin to heal. Now, you might also say, well, what's the point of a lament like this in my personal circumstances? I've never been in a city that was destroyed. I've never had my uh, children or family, um, you know, uh, had them... um, had awful things happen. Um, you really should read that psalm. It's, it's awful. Why should I care about these psalms? Why should I read these psalms? Or even more so, why should I pray through the psalms when I don't identify with this experience? Because, um, But here's the thing. I think one of the reasons that we have these psalms is so that we can pray for other people and other circumstances. I can't understand the plight of the Afghan people right now from a personal experience, but I can pray through a psalm uh, and say, God, I, I have mercy on these poor people who have been through this. And I can be rage-filled uh, in my prayerful uh, reflection with God and ask him to serve and to bless them because their city has been destroyed and their culture is being destroyed. And I can identify with them through praying in this psalm. But I think one of the other reasons we find it difficult to identify or understand these psalms is because we've never really been on the receiving end of this kind of injustice. Somewhere in our hearts, though, I suspect we understand that we are much more like the Babylonians than we are like the Israelites in this story. Somewhere in our hearts, I'm sure we know that. Because when we tell our own story, we want to be the hero. And occasionally, you know, we like to be the victim. But we very rarely frame ourselves as the oppressor. 
The danger for us from our relative safety and security and privilege and comfort is that we don't realize our affinity with the oppressors rather than the victims. And it means that we don't have uh, mercy or compassion or patience or generosity uh, for those victims as well. It means that we don't petition at the, the most that we possibly can to see our government and to see our society embrace and welcome the refugee and those who are, have been abandoned and hurt the most vulnerable people in our societies because we have not been those people. But in the Psalms, we should be able to enter into their story so that we can have a greater level of compassion. But, but now I want to turn to Psalm 138. Because the Psalms are not written by accident. Now, even though these two Psalms may be written by different people, they have been collated for a reason and as part of the prayer book of the Hebrew people so that they can journey through their hurt and their rage to a place of healing. The, the lament of Psalm 137 creates space for Psalm 138. It says this, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. And before the gods, I will sing your praise. This is amazing because Psalm 137, the minstrel's like hanging up my harp. I got no more songs. I'm done. I can't, I got nothing to share. And then we get to Psalm 38 and it says, and now I'm picking back up my harp. I'm ready to sing again, Lord. I will sing of your great praise in front of the gods, which is the kings, in front of the Babylonians, in front of the enemies of, of, of Yahweh. I am going to pick up my harp. I have a song of praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness for you have so exalted uh, your solemn decree for uh, that it surpasses your fame now there is no more temple here he's saying i will bow down toward your holy temple he can't bow down in the holy temple or at the holy temple it's gone but he says i lean in i lean into the place where you dwell heavenly father i lean in and i sing a song of praise for your unfailing love and your faithfulness you see, the minstrel is, is turning back their heart towards God here. It's a beautiful thing. It says, when I called you, answered me, and you greatly emboldened me. You see, this is a, a psalm of, um, of finding um, um, defiance. This is a psalm of saying, you have emboldened me. Fill me with faith again, Lord. There have been a number of times in my life where I have needed faith and needed to be emboldened, and I have felt that presence of God give me that strength. There are beautiful moments where we are defiant in spirit because we are emboldened by the Lord. And that's what this minstrel speaks of here. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when, you, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. You see, and now we are not talking about the, the uh, suffering of the past or the destruction of, of culture and temple and people. What we are doing now is we are seeing the psalmist turn to the future and say a time will come when all the earth and all the kings and all the kingdoms and all the people will praise you, Lord. This is a, a prophetic declaration when they hear of your decrees and may they sing of your ways, Lord, and your great glory because you are great. The time of the Lord cometh and the minstrel here proclaims it. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly and the lofty, he sees them from afar. 
See, the Lord sees those who are lowly. He sees the small. He sees the forgotten and he looks upon them kindly. He sees the refugee and the one whose culture has been decimated and destroyed. He sees those who are uh, grieving and those who are mourning and those who are suffering. He sees those who are subjugated and those who are being tormented. And he looks on them kindly. Even though he is very high, he sees them who are very low. He sees them from afar. Like the father and the prodigal son, he runs to them uh, to embrace them. And though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes and your right hand, with your right hand, you save me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. This beautiful plea that even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst as I sit by the waters of Babylon and I don't know of, of when the time will come, when, when, when I will be able to gather again with my family uh, in Jerusalem, and, but I know that a time will come when you preserve my life and all the kingdoms will bow down before you, Lord. Yesterday, the minstrel couldn't even raise a song, but today they are, they are proclaiming and pro prophesying about the future when everyone will raise a song to the Lord. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Even when this strife happened, even when the king saw his children uh, killed before him and his eyes torn from his face, even when they marched in chains all the way to Babylon, and even when they were tormented, and even when they couldn't sing, the Lord's love endured forever. And here the minstrel is remembering this. And he's saying, don't abandon the work of your hands. Take all of these terrible, awful things and bring them about for good. You would, you'll hear the words of, of Paul here echoed in this about all of these things being worked together for good for those who trust in the Lord. The Lord will make it right. His love endures forever. You know Sometimes we just need a sad song. I don't know if you're ever one of those people, you put on your sad songs and you have a cry, you just feel bad, you just want to belt it out. Well, that's what's going on here. We've had a sad song. A minstrel who loses their voice and loses everything, but then they, they rally beyond that sad song. I don't know, parents, if you've heard your kids when they belt it out, let it go. Uh, when they hit that those, those big, powerful uh, expressions. That's what it is in their soul. Lord, you'll vindicate me. Your love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. I remember you and you remember me. And one day you are going to make it right. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And all of the brokenness will be made whole. And all of the mourning will be comforted. And all of the people who have had it taken away from them will have it restored upon to them. You are good God and your promises are good and your time is coming. You see, that is the beautiful thing that happens in the Psalms as we work through the grief and the rage and the lament and the anger. And then we come to a place of praise where we know that the heavenly father who's, who sits in heaven, that one day he makes it all good and right again. You see, we need the sad song. We need the authenticity and the honesty in order to heal and to move on. So I want to say, if you're struggling, don't think that Netflix will fix your problem. You need to share, you need to pour out your heart, you need to cry out. Even if you don't have a song in your lungs right now, talk it out. If you're angry or you're sad or you're hurting or you're confused, if you are lamenting, cry out your burden to the Heavenly Father. 
cry it out to us so that we can help you to carry it. Remember that Psalm 137 is followed by Psalm 138. The lament and anguish of 137 becomes the defiance and faith of 138. What I want to encourage you to do as we leave this uh, space today, somewhere this week, I want you to go and read 137 and then read 138 and then read 139. Uh, and I won't, for some of you might know what 139 is, but I want you to just go and read that and see that progression of heart and faith and ideas that work out in the Psalms. And know that God has not abandoned you and God has not abandoned us. And even though the world may look like it is all falling down, the temple could be getting destroyed before our very eyes. Know that the heavenly father cometh, that the day of redemption cometh when all wrong things will be made right. Lord, I thank you that you are happy to hear our complaint, our lament, our grief, our sorrow, our anger, our rage, and that we can pour out that poison and bitterness and hurt and know that you will hear it and that you will begin to work a miracle to restore us and to help us to move beyond that. Give us the faith to trust you with those things so that we can be healed. May our mourning be turned to dancing. So I thank you for the example we have in the Psalms and I praise your name, Heavenly Father. Amen.